2: Welcome. You're listening to Sports Econ 101, the show where we discuss sports topics from a business perspective. I'm your host, Edward Brown, along with my co host, Bruce McGowan, longtime sports radio personality. Today's show is going to be fun because we're going to have a repeat guest on. Who is it?
3: One of my old friends and a guy who actually is responsible for getting me to CanBR, where, right? where I was for 18 years, the all sports station in San Francisco, Steve Bitker. And Steve left CanBR shortly after I got there, a couple years later, but he's been at KCBS for 20 five years, the all-news station, doing mornings, and just got admitted to the Bay Area uh, Radio Hall of Fames, and a huge Excellent. baseball guy. Good. So we're going to get some huge good... Huge baseball guy. Huge, there he is, <laughs> hey. He's on the phone. He's ready us. to... He's champing at the bit.
2: And for <laughs> those uh, in the national uh, audience, uh, KCBS is kind of a kind of a big station out here. It is. In it's, in a, uh, it's the yeah.
3: all-news radio station, and it's the number one station. It has been the number one station in the market pretty much for the last four or five years. Yeah, yep. Very good. Yep.
2: All right. So at an eat commercial uh, break, we're going to ask a sports trivia question. And in honor of Steve Bitker, we're going to ask a baseball t- question. Oh, right. In fact, uh, I think these questions are going to be probably pretty easy for our young friend on the phone. You're young, aren't you there, Steve?
4: Uh, young
3: at heart. There, there, that's right. That <laughs> you got to be young at heart to play baseball. <laughs> that works.
2: All right. This segment of Sports Econ 101 is sponsored by Pacific Private Money, still providing mortgage investments that are currently yielding right around 8%. They had to lower it just a little bit. It's about 7.95%, but that's close enough to 8%. In today's market, that's really, really solid.
3: Let's not get greedy.
2: Uh, yeah, Exactly. In fact, the uh, average loan-to-value is only about – uh, 55%. Wow. So you can't get too much more conservative yeah. than that. You yeah. definitely got to check them out at PacificPrivateMoney.com. You are listening to Sports Econ 101. And don't touch that dial. When we come back, we're going to have baseball aficionado Steve Bitker with us. All right? Don't touch that dial. Sports Econ 101. We'll be right back.
7: Hey, makes it more manageable, gets my attention, folks. I love the free delivery, and they take care of the paperwork for you. So if you have Medicare and you need help for your back, ankle, knee or shoulder, guess what?
0: an app so powerful, it holds 20 million songs
8: from 450,000 artists. Thousands of the best live radio stations, custom stations, and stations created just for you. It's anywhere and it's everywhere. Millions of songs, thousands of stations, one free app. iHeartRadio is that easy. Download the app today or listen online at iHeartRadio.com.
2: Welcome back to Sports Econ 101. Again, I'm Edward Brown, your host, along with Bruce McGowan. Bruce, who's on the phone?
3: Now we got Steve Bitker, one of my good buddies from a long-time radio cohort. Used to work together at KNBR, All Sports Radio. And then Steve moved over to the All News KCBS, where he has been holding forth for 25 years doing morning sports And He is a huge baseball guy, was a backup announcer with the Oakland A's for, ne- uh, for a number of years, did minor league baseball with the Sonoma Crushers, independent league team here just north of San Francisco. And Ben, I got to ask you first of all about these playoff series as we speak. Now the series are just getting underway, but when this show airs, there will be a couple of games into it. Uh, which one of the four series intrigues you the most? Any one in particular?
4: Well, Bruce, I think—I uh, mean, I think they're all very intriguing. But if I had to pick one, seeing that I am based in San Francisco, uh, I would take the Giants and the Cubs. And maybe even if I weren't in San Francisco. I might take the Giants and the Cubs because with the Giants, you've got the World Series champions three of the last six years. The team that everybody knows has won in even years, 2010 12, and 14, didn't make the playoffs at all in the other years. And now suddenly they're back despite going 30 and 42 in the second half of the season. They had a great first half, a dreadful second half. They got hot the last week, won five out of six got in as the second wild card and won a classic a 3 to nothing game from the Mets, classic because it was scoreless through eight, and Cindergard and Bumgarner were absolutely sensational. And they're facing the best team in baseball all season long, the Cubs, who won 103 games. They got a 16-game margin on the 87-win Giants. So for all intents and purposes, it should be a slam dunk. But, Bruce, as you and I both know, It never is. In fact, I did some homework last night and discovered that since 1979, there have been 42 teams that have um, won 100 games in a season, and 37 of those did not win the World Series. (laughs) Wow.
2: Target on their back.
4: (laughs) and And we both know that starting in 1995 with the advent of the wild card, it has become all the more difficult because yeah. you've got the extra tier of, uh, of, of teams that are in it, and so I think the chances of a 100-win team winning a win team now it's even harder than it was before. But you know, one of those teams that didn't make it was Seattle when they won one hundred and fifteen yeah. games back in 2000 or 2001, and they got knocked out in the first round by the Yankees. So. During this period of time when only four 100-win teams have survived since 79 to win the series, three other teams I discovered have won 87 or fewer and won the World Series, and one of those was the Yankees in 2000 when they lost, uh, let's see, 15 of their last 18 games. Wow. You could not find a team that was more ice cold going in And what did they do they upset the A's beat Seattle beat Atlanta won the World Series so the stage is set it's not a slam dunk for the Cubs by any means but you've got the best versus the team that has the most number of guys who have that winning experience all the way through the World Series so it's very compelling great pitchers on both sides a lot of power on the on the Cubs side a lot of Contact
2: hitters on the Giants side. Well wasn't that A's upset? Wasn't that the one that Jeremy Giambi got uh, tagged out Don't at the say plate? I know, I know. That, I was, know, that st- was
3: actually in two thousand and one. Believe it or not, that was the, yeah. that was the first. It was game. that the two thousand one? Yeah, they yeah. they lost to the Yankees in two thousand and in two thousand one. The A's had a re- Steve. You were covering the A's very closely in those years. The A's from two thousand to two thousand and three were in the playoffs every year and got knocked out every year yeah. in the first round. And they had some great teams themselves. Yeah, in fact, one of those
4: years they won the first two games in New York, yeah. and then went to Oakland and couldn't put him away.
2: Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, that was the old Derek Jeter. I remember, remember that. I, I keep. It's weird because it's last. Well, again, this is being taped right now, but last night, Denard Span gets called out, uh, and I'm thinking at second base on on a steal, and I'm thinking if he slides head first, he doesn't have to worry about you know getting close. You know, uh, these but, guys then if he think sli-
3: but then, if he slides head first, maybe he breaks his pinky, like uh, Brandon Crawford did a couple of weeks so, ago. So it's a
4: more yeah. it's a more risky play. And yeah. I know a lot of people said, "How could they? How could they uh, make the call they made?" Because he was clearly safe, but it's possible he slid off the bag. Exactly.
2: Yeah, I think yeah. that's what happened. Red
4: instant, and yeah. uh,
2: not enough oh, to overturn. Though. But I
4: remember, I remember that I was at that uh, Peter Giambi game with my younger daughter Janelle at the time, and I remember telling her in advance when Giambi got on base, and I said, watch, they're going to put in Eric Burns to pinch run. Mm. What Ardow's going to do, because Burns was a rookie, and he was on that roster for the postseason only because of his speed, and the A's didn't make that move, and of course Burns would have scored easily, and you know, who knows what would have happened
3: then. Yeah, that was a turning point. Well, you know, you mentioned the Giants-Cubs, that is such an intriguing matchup, as you say, because of the Giants' uh, hot streak at the right time. One in the American League that really fascinates me is Toronto and Texas. There's no love lost between these teams. I know that we in the media tend to, to blow these little incidents up bigger than life, but the uh, the little fight that uh, a couple of guys got into about a Batista. month ago. Yeah, yeah Batista and uh, Rolf Ned, or Odur, I think is his name. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Rufned Odor. Rufned Odor. Odor. Say that 100 yes. times. In fact, I'll give
4: you some <laughs> trivia, Bruce, on Rufned Odor. Okay. The younger brother, who also is an infielder, also in the Texas Rangers organization, and his name is also Rufned Odor.
3: He's got so they're two Rouvinez Ordours and they're brothers. Yeah, so if his younger brother makes it, they're going to have to use a middle initial to differentiate between the two. <laughs> well, that's like George having,
2: Foreman naming all six of his kids yeah, George. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Having
4: said that, having said that, it is. Oh. I mean, there's so much animosity, and it's not media created. I mean, with when Bautista a year ago hit the game-winning yeah. three-run homer in the very same ALDS in the bottom of the seventh inning that put them ahead by three runs. He had that classic bat
2: flip, bat it Yeah,
4: didn't upset some members of the Rangers because they understood the emotion of the moment, but it definitely pissed off some others. And then you segue into this season, and you see the, the battle between Odor and Batista at second base. So tensions are going to be high in this one throughout the series. So that's appealing. The Dodgers and the Nationals is appealing because, you know, you've got Kershaw and you've got uh, Scherzer and um Unfortunately, it doesn't look like Strasburg's going to be able to go, but that's an intriguing series, and and Boston-Cleveland is, because Boston, you've got Francona, who led the Red Sox to two World Series titles, breaking a a near 100-year curse, uh, going up against the team that uh, he used to manage, and he's now with Cleveland. I think he's going to get Manager of the Year in the American League, because he's gone the entire season without Brantley as outfielder, who's probably his best position player, and, uh, and then even after losing two of his best young starters in Salazar and Carrasco, uh, the team still won the division.
2: He, he, he might get it just because he didn't get fired during the year, you know? <laughs> you know, it's funny, that bat flip, uh, to me, I, I actually kind of like it. As long as you're not pointing at the pitcher himself and, and or, you know, looking him in the eye and, and trying to show him up. Like you said, it's just an emotional thing. You're just
3: getting excited. It's kind of like taking the football and slamming it yeah, into the end Yeah, exactly. In fact, do you remember yeah.
2: Tim Lake? For the Cardinals, oh, yeah, yeah, against, the backup catcher. Yeah, yeah. he had a home run against the Giants, to knock us out, and and I, you know, it was I, I was upset, but that was a classic bat flip, yeah, and it was great. I mean, from that end of it only.
3: Sure, sure. <laughs> sure. Well, you know, you mentioned. No, Cle- I I agree with you. I'm yeah. totally okay with it. Let him have a little emotion. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, it's and, exciting and it's, for the game.
4: In that moment, I mean, it's the deciding game. Two men yeah. on, tie score. He hits it into orbit. I mean, who wouldn't want to do a little extra bat flip at that
2: moment? Yeah, I mean, you get guys like Joe DiMaggio, who never showed any emotion except for the one time when the catch, you know, he gets robbed of a home run. and it's like, it, it
3: kicks second yeah, base. Yeah, I mean,
2: boo, you know, hey, come on. <laughs> you know, we, we like the excitement here. Okay, guys, we're going to cut to our first commercial break. Now, again, Steve, if you know the answer to this, you got to just not say anything until we come back from commercial break, and then we'll let you answer it, okay? We are talking baseball here what u s professional sports team, of course we are t- I shouldn't have said baseball, but I'm, I'm given you a hint it is baseball here. What u s professional sports team has been in the same city with the same name for the longest period of time? And it's not the Oakland A's because they were the Kansas City A's before and that
3: Philadelphia A's before that athletics. No, that, actually. That, that's right, yeah, exactly.
2: okay. Nice. And uh, let's see that's the that's our trivia question. And when we come back, we'll see who knows the answer to that, all right? So, again, what U.S. team has been in the same city with the same name for the longest period of time? Don't touch that dial. Sports Econ 101 will be right back.
9: 800
10: your process lower your monthly mortgage payments save your home and your credit but you must act now call 800-274-7312 274 7312 not available in all states Hayden, non-attorney
2: yeah. spokesperson welcome back to sports econ 101 i'm edward brown your host along with bruce McGowan. here was our first trivia question what u.s professional sports team we're talking baseball here has been in the same city with the same name for the longest period of time bruce what was your answer
3: you know, for some reason, I the first team that came to mind was the Pittsburgh Pirates because I believe the Pirates were the Pirates right when Major League Baseball 1903 first World Series. I think they were in that World Series, weren't they? Bit wasn't Pittsburgh in the? I, world? I
4: don't know that. I'm going yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, to I'm gonna give way to you on that one. Okay, I
3: think they yeah, were. Well, Bo- they, Boston was.
2: You there. may be right Boston on that. and Pittsburgh. Yeah. yeah. Boston and Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah. Boston. My Florida.
4: answer. I'm going to go back into the previous century. And I believe it was the Cincinnati Reds. Ah,
2: Actually, yes. it wasn't. It, it it was the Philadelphia Phillies, founded in 1883.
3: Okay, wow. but the, now, yeah, yeah, but, I know the, the Reds were the Reds,
2: the Red Stockings. The red stockings.
3: The, but they were the Red Stockings, yeah, that's maybe true. That's the catch. And maybe, then they were the, a, they were the Red Legs red for legs, a while yeah, Remember, exactly. in the 50s during the during the uh, Ted Klozowski era. Well, during the McCarthy, uh, you know, Red Scare era, they became they they were Is no longer they, called, yep they were no longer called the Reds. They changed their name to the Cincinnati Redlegs. Oh, to get away from the word yeah. "reds." Yeah. God, you know
2: what's funny? Oh, I I wondered why that yeah. they were the Redlegs. I, I thought it I, maybe just for speed. I remember or something. when I was
3: a kid, about seven, eight, nine years old. And, you know, with the Redlegs. That's that's an intriguing name. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's anyway, a good one. Yeah, anyway, we're talking to Steve Bicker. And before we broke away, I, I had a question for you. The Cleveland Indians, to me, are one of the most intriguing teams, also, because who would have thought that they would win the Central Division? And they're kind of banged up, but that's a team that's sort of been under the radar all season long.
4: Yeah, it's true. Um, interestingly enough, going into the season, I saw them as a real legitimate dark horse because I love their young starting pitchers uh, Carrasco. Salazar, Bauer, and their their veteran, who is still under 30, I believe, and Corey Klubert. And these guys all throw gas. And I thought, this is a team that could be sort of like the Mets, what the Mets were last year, riding those great young pitchers all the way to the World Series. Uh, But I don't think Cleveland's going to survive because Salazar and Carrasco were both out. Although I did hear uh, this morning that Salazar is starting to throw down in Arizona, but you know the chances of him being strong enough to pitch this postseason are extremely unlikely, and you know I I just find it hard to believe that they can survive. Although none of the other starting pitching staffs in the American League playoffs um, are flawless mm-hmm. by any stretch of the imagination. I mean they've all got issues.
3: You know it's interesting uh, off the field. There have been a lot of changes of teams that are. Uh, didn't make the postseason, and one of the, the changes that kind of shocked me was the firing of Barry Bonds. I would think a guy, you know, granted, he, he's sometimes... It shocked you? Are you Well, no, it? I mean, <laughs> seriously, listen, listen to me for a minute, because I know you've you've had some different experiences with Barry Bonds. bit and I both dealt with the Barry Bonds quite a bit, and, and bits experiences were not pleasant. Mine were not so much pleasant, but I got along with him only because probably I worked for the flagship station, and I knew his dad, and, you know, we seemed to get along Okay. I would think a guy who was that good a hitter, you would want to pick his brain. And one thing I noticed about Bonds when I spoke with him just about baseball, it was like talking to Willie Mays. He, he could dissect and give you so much information. But from what I hear now, the problem, it, it's not just the statistics, uh, you know, the fact that the, the Marlins weren't as proficient as they thought they were going to be, but also it sounds like Don Mattingly was a little upset because Barry, uh, being Barry, uh, going by the, the sound of his own drum – did not put in a lot of time. Uh, you know, these coaches get to the games at one o'clock in the afternoon and pour over the, the computer and look at all the stats. So maybe that, it sounds like, you know, it sounds like the, the move was made originally by Jeff Loria, the owner of the, the Marlins, hired Bonds over the wishes of uh, Mattingly. And I think when Mattingly went back to him after the end of the season, said, I want this guy out of here, maybe that was, I don't know. We're, we're 3,000 miles away, so I don't know all the particulars. But what'd you read on that whole thing?
4: Uh, it's very similar to yours, except um, I, never thought, I never thought he would survive the season. Um, I just didn't think he would survive the day-to-day grind of a season for a guy that was used to being one of the best players in the game. Um, I didn't think he would survive in this role where he had to teach um, above and beyond just giving guys feedback standing around the batting cage. And in the end, he did survive the entire season, so that surprised me, but he didn't survive long-term because Don Mattingly, from what I understand, decided about midway through the season that he didn't want him back. Um, You know, you brought up the fact that he wasn't into studying video, which is a central part of the work of any hitting coach in this era. And um, there was a reference in uh, one of the Miami Herald stories I read that said that Mattingly was not happy with the fact that on plane flights Bonds insisted on watching movies. <laughs> so that's how he passed the time. And meanwhile, yeah. Frankie Menaquino was studying video of hitters and pitchers.
2: Yeah, but but how do we know that Barry wasn't watching The Natural <laughs>
4: <laughs>
2: or, the, or Barry, the Pride of the Yankees? The natural. And, yeah.
3: Well, we both know. I don't know if our listeners know this, but Barry Barry Bonds the last three or four years from about two thousand and Three through about 2007, not only had his own corner in the clubhouse, he had a Barco lounger. Now, the, granted, the guy had a bad back. He was in his 40s. Uh, they were trying to do as much. He was carrying the club. I mean, in a lot of ways, that was a bad team after 2004. And he had a widescreen TV. It was the oddest thing in the world to go into that corner of his part of the of the, of the clubhouse and see him sitting there like he was some sort of a, an overgrown kid watching in his rumpus room, but that was Barry Bonds. It was it was an unusual situation. See, you know what?
2: I, I if I, I I couldn't do that. I don't care how much of a superstar I'd yeah. be. You know, just the fact that it's, it's a team sport, you got to have to deal with all these other guys. You don't want them being either
3: jealous of you or you know. Well, Jeff Kent didn't appreciate it, did yeah. he? Bit. Uh, Jeff Kent and, and Barry had Jeff a few. Kent, yeah.
4: Jeff Kent was one of the very few players that would stand up to him. Um, Danny Darwin was another. They got into it. In the runway heading up to the clubhouse uh, Either during or after one game And uh, Sean Dunstan, I believe, got into it with him
2: Well, Sean's a really nice guy, as too well.
4: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we all love Sean Dunstan and, yeah. um, But, you know, unfortunately, during that entire era uh, As well as in Pittsburgh, with the notable exception of one incident involving Jim Leland And throughout uh, Barry Bond's childhood And we really shouldn't waste too much time talking about this guy But everybody enabled him, you know, for so long. They just basically spoiled him rotten, and that includes the Giants' front office that looked the other way when they knew that he was roided up for many, many, many years. Well,
3: I think the problem also is that when you get a guy who is, you know, he was a great player before he was roided up, let's face it. The unfortunate thing was he got jealous because Mark McGuire was hitting the home runs. I'll never forget 1998. I'm with the Giants in San Diego. And, and Mark McGuire hits a couple of home runs and gets closer to the record. And Bonds is starting to scream at all of us who were hanging out in the clubhouse, the reporters. What are you guys watching? That guy ain't, you know what? <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, geez, Barry, come on. you know, Have some appreciation for another fellow player. But obviously that was not something that he appreciated and, and he wanted to one up. And so he got better stuff and made himself even stronger than McGuire and broke his record. So you know, I, you can't justify or rationalize that. That's just the way. But Barry you know, it's Bond funny. I,
2: I, everyone pitched around Barry, but did they pitch around Mark? As much, I don't think they pitched around. Yeah, Mark as McGuire much. didn't
3: hit for for average though. No. Like Bonds did, yeah. too, you know. But I don't know. So we don't want to. We not yeah. as you mentioned. But let's <laughs> let's move on. Here's an interesting thing. I, and, I, and not to take a, too much time about this, but I, I was un, I, I was really kind of disturbed when I saw this second baseman Brooks Marlowe of the <laughs> Astros. You heard this story. Tweeted. Yes. And I, I guess um, he's a minor league second baseman in, in the Astros system. Uh, tweeted that Jessica Mendoza. Is in other words, no lady needs to be on ESPN talking to her ba- during a baseball game. Sorry, Mendoza, and the tweet was quickly deleted. I, mean, I guess I thought Jessica Mendoza she did know, a fine job. She's did a, she? a former uh, college stand-up baseball player, basketball basketball player, baseball player, softball player at Stanford. Very bright, and I thought she did a nice job on ESPN. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts yeah, about that whole thing, Bitt? I
4: mean, the reaction that uh, this minor leaguer with the Astros as and communicated is probably a very common reaction uh, in baseball circles and amongst baseball fans. But uh, as you say, Jessica is uh, was a great softball player at Stanford, a great player for uh, the U.S. national team, and uh, she does her homework, and she's extremely uh, articulate, and okay. she has a passion for the game. And um, it's nice that uh, ESPN... Um, uh, not only pursued her, but was not uh, squeamish about putting her on their lead broadcast. There were times, especially early in the season, when I thought they were the network was trying too hard to, to sort of showcase her into a star, and and, and maybe gave her so much airtime so quickly that it was almost unfair to her. But I think she's um, she's grown into the role nicely and gotten into a real real comfort zone, and I. I think that um, that, the, that the crew, including Aaron Boone, really enjoy working. Uh,
2: you know, I liked having all three of them, you know, make comments during. Yeah, Dan, it,
4: Sh- Dan Schulman's yeah. great, too.
2: Yeah, they really did rather. You know, I, I like uh, Kruk and Kipe, you know, out here. But, uh, you know, Dwayne Kuyper does all the play-by-play, and then Kruko just kind of adds his little bit here and there, which is all good stuff, but it was kind of nice to get each person to, to put in their own, you know, their own spin on things. You know what I mean?
4: The challenge is is that no one feels left out or yeah. no one feels like they are they have to try too hard to, to be an equal part of the broadcast. So I think these three work really well together.
3: And an interesting thing about Steve Bicker, like myself, and more so in Steve's uh, situation, he's had an opportunity to do a lot of baseball play-by-play. You were a backup announcer with the A's for a number of years uh, when Bill King would take time off, the great Bill King, who did the A's for 20 Five years did the Raiders NFL for twenty six years. What was it like working in oh, the booth with? Yeah. Oh, you want to take a? quick We're gonna break? We're going to take a break, We're, okay. and then we'll ask. Uh, okay, we well, want to gonna talk to about that, that with Steve. Okay. Yeah, because I think he's got some interesting things to say about it.
2: All right, so here's our uh, next trivia question: Is who was the first major league pitcher to hit two home runs in the same game while throwing a no hitter? All right, that's our question. It's a good one. Uh, stay with us. Sports Econ One Hundred and One. We'll be right back.
5: This is Carrie Cooper for Guitar Center's Focus on Rock. Shop
8: for the greatest selection of music here on earth at guitarcenter.com. Over the years, we've witnessed numerous genres colliding with rock music to create unique tracks consisting of a hybrid of sounds, but none quite so impactful or unlikely as that of Aerosmith's collaboration with Run DMC for their seminal version of Walk This Way. Join me at focusonrock.com where I look at that special moment in music history when rap and electric guitars entwined and cultural worlds collided. Your music can take you anywhere you want to go. And Guitar Center is the best place to start the journey. Save up to 25% on over 200,000 guitars, amps, and accessories from major brands. Get an Epiphone Limited Edition Les Paul for just $399. An Ibanez Electric for $249. A Yamaha Dreadnought Acoustic Electric for $199. Or Didario Strings, three packs for $10. Where will your new guitar take you? Guitarathon is going on now. At Guitar Center.
2: Hi, Sports Econ One Hundred and One listeners. I'm Edward Brown. You know me as the host of the show, but you may not know that I work with individuals getting them the least expensive term life insurance policies around. Don't be fooled by the ads you hear on TV and radio. It's always best to work with someone who's completely independent. That's where I come in. If you email me at Edward at SportsEcon101 dot com, your name. I can get you a guaranteed policy where the low premiums are fixed anywhere from 10 to 35 years. So email edward at sportsecon101.com right now for your free life insurance quote. That's edward at sportsecon101.com. Welcome back to Sports Econ 101. Edward Brown here along with Bruce McGowan. Here was our second trivia question. What, Who was the first major league pitcher to hit two home runs in the same game? While throwing a no hitter, yeah,
4: I have
3: no idea on that one. How about you? But you want to take a stab? Uh,
4: well, I'm I'm going to guess a guy that, that was one of the best hitting pitchers of all time. I think he threw a no hitter. So I'm going to guess Earl Wilson.
2: No, this is uh, June 23rd, 1971. So wow, not that okay. long ago. Rick Wise. Rick Wise. Yeah.
3: Oh, that's right. Yeah. Got, and Rick Wise was. Well, a— di- I was going to say Rick Wise, but mm-hmm. I went with Wilson. Rick Wise was the guy that was traded by the Cardinal or to the Cardinals for Steve Carlton. One of the worst oh, trades wow, and one wow. of the worst baseball trades of all time. And, and you, you don't see the Cardinals making that many bad trades. Yeah. Well, we've only got Steve Bifker for just a few more minutes. And I did want to ask you about working on the air with the Oakland A's and filling in for Bill King. And, you know, Ken Korak has been in Oakland now for 20 years. Uh, he's the primary radio voice. What's it like working a, a – a, you, you had enough of an opportunity to do 20, 25 games a year for several years. What's it like traveling with the team and, and being a voice of the team and, and, and hanging out with the guys and really being a part of that of that uh, special kind of group when you're on the road?
4: The only way to travel. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's for sure. Yeah, you're flying in charter flights, which means no matter where you're sitting, uh, the press and the coaches and the front office would sit in the front of the plane. So you're but wherever you're sitting on the plane, it's first class all the way you got tons of legroom, you got tablecloth, uh, meal service, you've got uh, beers, wines, whatever. Where
2: do I sign up?
4: Um, <laughs> at any time, as soon as you step on the plane, you've got a fruit plate, a vegetable plate, maybe some chicken skewers, and frequently when we would fly into Texas to play the Rangers, as Bruce knows, I did more road games in Texas than anywhere else because Bill King hated that place. <laughs> um, and we would often fly back in uh, Mark Cuban's uh, oh. plane as Dallas Mavericks' jet. And you want to talk about Legro. <laughs>
2: yeah, I'm bad. i
4: had, I was assigned to Dirk Nowitzki's seat. <laughs> oh, my
2: God. <laughs> hey, t- Steve, a, how tall are you?
4: <laughs> I'm 5'8 I'm on a good day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
3: so you, you, could, could, you could really twice. stretch out. You, <laughs> yeah. could, you could really so stretch out.
4: Nowitzki and Steve Nash had seats right next to each other. So, And I, for some reason, always had Nowitzki's seat. But when you walked onto that plane, you know, because of the lighting um, and the decor, it felt like you were walking into a nightclub. So <laughs> the travel was great. You were always in five-star hotels. Um, so that was phenomenal. Um, you know, when you when you arrived in any city, there was a, you know, luxury bus ready to take everybody to the hotel. And the hotel keys were waiting on a table as soon as you walked into the hotel. I mean, everything was everything was first class. You got good meal money so you could eat well. Um, you know, uh, working with... I mean, I worked with Ken Korak, who is one of the very, very best in the business. Fabulous person. Incredible pipes. I always felt so inadequate
2: yeah, he's good.
4: my voice working with him. Just a great play-by-play announcer. But there were also several times during those years when, um, when Greg Papa, who was doing television for the A's, would announce Raiders games. Korak would then move in to the television booth to replace Papa... And I got to work with Bill King. Mm. So I mean, I was working with one of one of the great legends in broadcasting history and a guy that I grew up with as the voice of the Warriors, the voice of the Raiders, and to this day the best basketball and football announcer that I've ever heard are yeah. none. Yeah. So and Bill was always Bill was a sensational guy, a wonderful guy to work with. There was one game in particular. I worked at Yankee Stadium, a Friday night game. It started at 8, it went 16 innings, last, it lasted 6 hours,
3: Wow! and it was
4: Bill and me cramped into this little booth at the old Yankee Stadium, but uh, what a fantastic experience it was, the A's ended up winning that game. Huh. Um, but there were just so many people I met over the years, so many great interviews I had a chance to do, including the legendary voice of the Yankees, Bob Shepard, I interviewed him when he was in his 90s, huh. he was as, as lucid as ever, uh, you know. Eric Gita, number
2: two. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I got invited to uh, join the radio broadcast uh, for just the you know the local uh, baseball team here, San and, Pacific. San Pacific. Yeah. Pacific, yeah. And so, you know, here I am, kind of hoping to go, you know, base hit up the middle, he you know, like that sort of thing, right? And I'm adding extra commentary, and then <laughs> during commercial break, I get told, "Hey, you ain't the play-by-play announcer. You <laughs> just just." just add extra stuff once in a while, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 <laughs> I go, so wait a minute. So you're, you're Dwayne Kuiper and I'm Mike Kruko. Yes, you got it. <laughs> yeah,
4: there you go. There you go. I worked, uh, Bruce I, and Ed, I worked one game spring training. This was like the first week of spring training in Arizona and Korak was uh, doing a UNLV basketball game. So the A's got a hold of me and said, can you fly down to Arizona just do this one game with Bill? Because Bill, especially early in spring training, Bill loves being down there, but he hates doing... Uh, The games by himself because, you know, early in spring training, you've got, you know, so many non roster guys and guys with numbers that, uh, you know, are up in the 80s and the 90s, and it's just kind of overwhelming. So I said, sure. So I fly down there with Bill, and at the end of six innings, the score is something like 18 to 11. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) jeez. Arena baseball.
3: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I,
4: I, I did the third and fourth innings. Bill did the first four. His scorecard is a complete. Uh, mess and Bill during the commercial break before the seventh inning and says, "Steve, you want to do the last three innings?" <laughs> and I said, "Sure." sure and he goes, yeah. "Great, I'm out of here."
3: There's nothing quite like it. I already left. You know, my my big dream was to to do play by play, and I got to do yeah. a little minor league ball here and there, and. But I got to to audition, and I I knew I wasn't going to get the job because Dave Fleming got it, a brilliant young announcer who's been with the Giants now for 10 years. But I got to do 12 Giant games back in 2003. And there's nothing like, as you say, there's nothing like, if you're a broadcaster, being able to sit there and – Paint the word picture and talk about the game as it's unfolding in front of you, and be the eyes and ears. I think, to, still to this day, radio is the best of all the uh, the media. Well, it's
2: like when I watch watch TV. I, I do that in my mind, <laughs> you
4: know.
3: I used to do that when I was a kid, actually. You know. Yeah, sure. Did you actually, did you did you announce radio, games as a, as a kid?
4: Like Vince Scully said, you know, you could have ten different guys announcing the same game sure. on radio, mm-hmm. and each one. Will paint a different
3: picture. That's true.
4: Or the person listening to that broadcast will create a different picture based on that person's imagination. So,
3: good point. It is. It's
4: a. It's it's the best sport on radio there is, bar none.
3: Hey, you know, before we let you go, I got to ask you. I, I was at the Forty Nine er game the other day, and I'm listening on my smartphone to the MLB app and listen to the entire game as much of it as I could of Vince Scully's last. Game and it was against the Giants. A game yeah. the Giants had to win. Yeah, and it was on the 80th anniversary of Vince Scully becoming a Giants fan as a little boy. He later was, yep. of course, named the, Dodgers, the Dodger so. announcer. So he, his loyalties were with the Dodgers. But I mean, I, I was listening to this guy, guys, and I, I couldn't believe how clear and how uh, calm and poised and and articulate he still was at the age of 88. That's Is young. He, he's like, huh? Yeah. Yeah, especially I
2: mean, been 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 in baseball for 67 years.
4: Uh, yeah. 67 years as voice of the Dodgers. Willie Mays was in the minor league when Vinny was the voice of the Dodgers.
3: <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. And there was a great moment when Willie came up to the booth and they they spoke at uh, the ballpark in San Francisco for about 20 minutes and then they put their arms around each other and Vinny said, "Thank you so much for coming up here, Willie. It really means a lot yeah. to me."
2: Oh, that's really sweet. Yeah. It um, is, you, you know. In fact, the uh, the Dodgers, you know, they've been kind of almost like the old Yankees of, of buying their payroll. Uh, what, what do you think? They going to actually finally do something this year?
3: Bit. What do you? Are think? You asking me? Or yeah? No, no, yeah. no. Go ahead. We, yeah. we want to get your thoughts about well,
4: this. Well, I, I mean, the Yankees, you know, midway through the season, they were just a collection of aging veterans and uh, no sense of direction. And then when they finally decided to go young. A lot of these young guys, Gary Sanchez in particular, the young catcher, uh, were looking mighty impressive. So, I don't, I don't know that the Yankees are ready to be a contender in the American League East next year, but uh, they almost got in as a, as a stunning wild card this year. I mean, they were in the race down to the final week or 10 days. But, but
2: I mean, the Dodgers, you know, they, they've had this huge payroll, and every year they get right there, and then they lose it in, in, the, in the, either the division series or, you know, the... the
4: I know. I mean, how many division titles are they winning? Yeah. As, uh, as great as Clayton Kershaw is, the best pitcher in the game, you know, he's got his little postseason demons to overcome. Yeah. So, uh, hopefully for his sake, he'll do it. I mean, personally, I know I'm surrounded by everybody here who wants the Giants to... Uh, to win another World Series, but I would love to see the Cubs in this one
2: eight
4: year old streak. Yeah. And if uh, the Giants do happen to knock off the Cubs, it would be really exciting to see the Giants and the Dodgers in the NLCS, because the Giants and the Dodgers have never, ever met in the postseason. They had those best-of-three playoffs in 51 and 62 when they were deadlocked, but those were added games to the regular season. They've wow. never, never thought acted that. a postseason
3: game. Yeah, you know, you know, I, I always thought that was kind of unfair yeah. even though I know technically it was regular season but those those were such am- I mean you and I were kids when that was going on and I'll never forget listening to the radio waiting somewhere and listening to the car radio of that ninth inning when the Giants oh, yeah. scored four runs in the ninth and, and pulled it out in L.A. after seemingly blowing uh the series and you know that's to me that's what baseball's all about when you get to that dramatic final. Well then there's
2: only one person I know who's rooting for the Cubs more than us and that's
3: Steve Bartman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Boy I wonder where <laughs> that guy I, is hanging out these days. I think, I think he's the on inter- the- that would be the
4: interview to land, wouldn't it? That would be that
2: would be well I I heard that Bill Buckner has finally uh, been uh uh released of his uh uh, you know, well, he should
3: <laughs> be. I mean, the, the Red Sox have won three World exactly. Championships. Exactly. But, yeah. I mean, I,
2: th- I think if the Cubs finally win it, then St-
3: they can forgive the, Steve Barton. Me? I
2: don't know. I'm yeah. still upset about the 2002 uh, World Series, how the Giants lost to the
3: Angels well, in Game that's, that's 6. That's a tough one, too. That was a Very, tough right, one And too. I were down there. We we're, yeah. were there. We were. Yeah. We were indeed. Steve, it's such a pleasure having you with us, man. thanks yeah, again. I really love again. talking baseball with you. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks yeah. at any time. Okay. All right. All right. Steve Bitker from KCBS. You know, it's it's so much fun uh to talk about baseball this time of the year because a lot of the fans jump on the bandwagon, you know naturally so because the games mean that much more. But there you you think about it and we're going back to 1903. There is, with the exception of 1994, when they had the player strike. There's yeah. always been a World Series. That's 100 and what yeah. 113, 114 years. even
2: during world, even, even during, during the world the wars, wars yeah. yeah, they talked
3: about curtailing baseball. And Franklin Roosevelt, and also yeah. the people who ran baseball at the time, felt that it was important for Americans to continue to try to live a fairly normal life. Yeah. Uh, there were a lot of players that left Major League Baseball and 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 uh, served out their uh, duties with the armed forces from 42 to 45 but um the game's continued yeah that so. was probably,
2: I think that was really smart cuz it's kind of you know american as apple pie, right? Well, it's
3: it's ingrained in, in in the American culture. It is a part of our lifestyle, and I know that football has sort of taken center stage because it's more of a TV sport and it's an event sport, and it's violent and it's exciting and it's brutal and it's well, it's know, not
2: 162 games of yeah, it either.
3: But baseball is every day, and you kind of you get into all the little subtleties, and you get to know the players a lot better, and you, you really almost if you really become a part of a team in terms of following that team, they almost become a part of your daily routine. They really do. And still to this day. I mean, look, now, granted, the attendance was down this year a little bit. It dropped 1.1%, but it was still 73,159,044 paid fans this year. That's an average of 30,000. 169 fans a game. The Dodgers had 3.7 million. The Giants had 3.37. Cardinals at 3.44. Yeah. Blue Jays. T- T-
2: Tampa Bay had 70,000. right? No,
3: Tampa Bay actually uh, oh, was the lowest, but they had yeah. they still had 1.29 million. And back in that's I, not bad. When, well, yeah. when I was a kid back in the '60s. 1.29 million wasn't that bad. No, not at all. Not bad. I mean, even the Oakland A's, who were 29th in baseball in attendance, a million and a half people showed up. That means almost 20,000 people a game.
2: Yeah, that's not that actually isn't too bad, especially no. when you're talking about at least 81 games. Well, and also
3: yeah. you're talking about a bad team. You yeah. know, who goes out to see a bad team? Well, a lot of well, people Only do. when
2: you, there's a good team playing them. That's right. All right, <laughs> so here, here we go. Here's our last trivia question. Who was the first president of the United States to watch a major league baseball game from the dugout? Ooh! So
3: I was going to say I. Taft. I thought maybe you were going to say the first major league or first uh, president to throw out, out the first. And ball. that was Taft. That was Taft. Yes, yeah. yeah, so it was um, William Howard Taft. That's right. Nineteen oh nine. Might yeah, yeah we got I think you're right. right. Yeah.
2: Okay, so that's our question. Who All was right. the first president of the United States to watch a major league baseball game from the dugout? Ooh. All right, don't touch that dial. Sports Econ 101. We'll be right back with some closing comments.
1: 1-800-316-1738. 1-800-316-1738. Call the CESI Debt Helpline right now for a free, confidential debt review. 800-957-6063. 800-957-6063. Well, welcome back to Sports Econ 101. Again, I'm Edward Brown, your host, along with Bruce
2: McGowan. Last trivia question. Who was the first president of the United States to watch a Major League Baseball game from the dugout? Teddy Roosevelt? Uh, no. No. Ronald Reagan.
3: Ronald Reagan from, from the from dugout. The oh, from the dugout. From the dugout. Yeah. Okay. Ronald Reagan loved baseball. Big. Ba- a matter of fact, I think he was in a baseball movie where he played Grover Cleveland Alexander, and yes. Doris Day was his wife. Uh, now he also played a football player George Gipp yep. in uh what was the name of that movie that was about uh Newton Rockney the Newton Rockney All-American. New Rockne, Rockne All-American. all-American and yeah. Pat O'Brien p- played Newton Rockney.
2: So um, Grover Cleveland Alexander pitched right. around 1911.
3: He pitched for about 30 years and he had a terrible problem with alcoholism and he had a terrible and he, he used alcohol to medicate himself because he had um some kind of disease? Uh, some, some kind campaign. of illness that uh, where he would go into, you know, he would just... Convulsions? Convulsions, right, yeah. yeah. And uh, he pitched until he was almost, I think, 42. Matter of fact, the, the great story about him was he came in and pitched in, the, in relief in the 1926 World Series against the Yankees and was the hero of that World Series at the age of 40. The Cardinals beat the Yankees in that series. It was a very close series. And Babe Ruth, I believe the story is... Made the last out by getting thrown out trying to steal second base. Oh, that's right. Yes, Can you yes, yes. That? I've,
2: I've seen uh, clips I, of that. I think
3: that's the only yeah. time in baseball history that a player has gotten thrown out for the last out of the World Series trying to steal a base. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah.
2: Amazing. Yeah. All right. We are going to cut out for the day. So here's our thoughts for the day Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Mm, so true. So true. You know? always come up with these ones I know you'll like philosophically.
3: Well, I, you know, if, according to Steve Bicker, Barry Bonds was that way. I, I disagree. I think Bonds worked hard, but yeah, I think Bonds, were, hard. you know, Bonds went by the sound of the beat of his own drum. And, and, and exactly. Hey, listen to that. A well, and again, if he. Not a likable guy, but a great player. But also, if you did been enabled, like you don't know
4: any better.
2: You don't know any
4: better. Yeah. Okay, and a true man of character knows his
2: limitations, but doesn't accept them. I like that one, too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Tune in next week to Sports Econ 101. We're going to be discussing sports topics from a business perspective and asking more sports trivia questions. Thanks for listening. On behalf of our team, I'm your host, Edward Brown. We'll see you next week. Good night, America. So long.